as I've mentioned to you, Chris Peters, our senior pastor, is away this morning. So if you are visiting, uh, you normally would hear Chris preaching most weeks. Uh, it is my privilege to be able to bring the word to you. I want to ask you this morning to be turning in your Bibles to Psalm 121. Uh, if you don't have a Bible that you brought yourself, you could probably find uh, there's some blue Bibles on the pews. Feel welcome to use one of those. Um, as you're turning to Psalm 121, I want to tell you, you know, we, there are times in our lives where we get opportunities, uh, and this is kind of one of those opportunities for me with Chris being gone. Uh, typically, we each week we celebrate communion. This week, uh, this morning, we'll not be doing that, and because of that, have an opportunity to be really favored by everyone here because you will probably be at the lunch table earlier than you ever have at the history of Cross Street. So, again, this is an opportunity that I have this week. I want to ask you to stand, please, out of reverence for God's Word. I'm going to read all of Psalm 121. I've entitled this, uh, the sermon this morning, A Guided Journey. Hear God's Word. A song of ascents. I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord, who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out. And you're coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Remain standing. Pray with me once more. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we pray that you would speak to us today. Father, I pray if there's anything that I say that is, that is unworthy, Lord, that, it, that goes against what your word has to tell us. Father, I pray that you would strike it from the record. Lord, I do pray that you would, would guide us through this passage as you guide us through this life, through our journey, Lord. And we do pray these things all in our Savior, Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. This psalm has many titles that people have used to kind of describe the content that is in it. Um, many people have called this the traveler's psalm or a soldier's psalm. Some people call it a trusting pilgrim's song. And as we're going to see as we go through Psalm 21, it's actually one of... 15 psalms, there are 15 uh, psalms, 120, all the way through Psalm 134. Those 15 psalms, we've grouped them together and we call them the Psalms of Ascent. Now, some people link these Psalms of Ascent, these 15 psalms with the 15 steps, large steps that actually led up to the temple that pilgrims would be traveling to Jerusalem and they would get to the last 15 steps leading up to the temple in Jerusalem and every step they would sing one of these psalms and then, so they would be at Psalm 120 and they would sing it and then they would go to the next step and as they were actually ascending up to the temple they would sing through these psalms of ascent. Now others link them and I tend to believe is more likely the case that these psalms were sung through the three uh, annual festival 
processions that people would actually take three times a year and travel to Jerusalem from wherever they were, from far off. I mean, they would travel miles and miles and miles to go to Jerusalem three times a year, and they would sing these songs as they were heading to Jerusalem. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, and if, uh, you're going to find out I really like what Spurgeon has to say about a lot of things. Spurgeon said about the Psalms of Ascent, he said, Before the actual ascent, the sick and plundered people looked towards the hills, and they longed to be upon their summits. So these travelers would be looking forward so much to their ascent, to be at their final destination, that even before they started that ascent, they were already looking forward to being on top of that hill. They were already looking forward, knowing where they were heading, knowing the purpose of the journey that they were about to embark on. So we have a very unique situation that you and I live in right now. And this is what I want us to be focusing on this morning, that we have a unique situation, just as the pilgrims of old would actually be looking forward to their destination, looking forward to be in Jerusalem, you and I have the wonderful opportunity right now to be longing to be with our Lord. Now, the Bible tells us something very interesting about our situation, our relationship with God. And Scripture actually, it reminds us and it tells us something about this life. And I want to read to you. I want to read from 1 John chapter 2. Don't turn there. Just listen as I read 1 John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride and possessions, get this, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away, along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. So I want us to take Psalm 121 this morning. And I want us to unpack this psalm, these eight verses, and I want us to see how it is encouraging us to focus more on our destination, more of where we're heading, than it is actually encouraging us to focus our time now on our journey. Now, I don't want to give the impression this morning that this life that we're leading day in and day out is not important. That's, the Bible actually speaks opposite of that, that our lives are important, that we do have purpose. And I want you to see that if you are a believer, if you're trusting in Christ, I want you to see how this psalm actually motivates you out of gratitude for what the Lord has done to actually see that He is your God. He's your tour guide guiding you in this journey as someone who already knows the terrain, as someone who is already familiar with what we are actually heading towards. He's familiar with the things that we go through in this life. Now, if you find yourself... This morning, as we go through Psalm 121, maybe a little skeptic of the Christian's belief. Or maybe if you're just not exactly sure what you do believe. And I want you to ask yourself a question. Is if this life is actually heading somewhere. You know, we're moving in one direction. If we're heading somewhere, ask yourself, where, where is it leading? In other words, be asking the question, is there a purpose? And if so, what is that purpose? My hope is that you will see God inviting you, as Psalm 121 tells us, to lift our eyes 
to the hills. And he's inviting us to look to him, to look to the hill, to see that he is keeping our going out and our coming in from this time forth and forevermore, which is how our psalm is going to end for us this morning. Now, some of you may have had to memorize, uh, maybe when you were growing up, you had to memorize the Westminster Shorter Catechism. I know a lot of times, kind of my parents' generation, and my dad growing up in a Presbyterian church, they had to memorize all the shorter catechisms. Maybe you had to do that, or maybe even now your, your children are learning the shorter catechisms. If you're familiar with them, do you remember the first question? The first shorter catechism asks the simple question. It says, what is the chief end of man? In other words, what is man's purpose? I think we like that question because if we believe that we were created, we want to know what we were created for. If there is a purpose, please tell me what that purpose is. What is the chief end of man? And it answers it by saying that we are to glorify God and enjoy Him. And then it says that we are to enjoy Him forever. So I really kind of have one point to the sermon today. Although, as you're going to find, I'm probably going to say much more. But I have one point I want us to be following this morning. And here it is. Are we focusing more on our journey that is this life? We're focusing on that more than we are longing to be at our destination. And kind of the little sub-point here to kind of summarize it is, are we enjoying God or are we enjoying ourselves? Now, as this psalm is talking about a traveler or a pilgrim, I want us to take a look into the life of a particular man that was quite a traveler himself. So I want to ask you to... Get those Bibles back out, and I want us to turn to Hebrews in the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 11. Now, I'm going to be reading from verses 8 through 16 of Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to be looking at Abraham. Abraham is oftentimes referred to as a man of faith. In this particular chapter in the New Testament, Hebrews 11, we call this the Hall of Faith. And I want to read... Verses 8 through 16 of Hebrews 11. We're going to be looking at Abraham and taking a look at his life and seeing how we can follow in his faith. Starting in verse 8. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith. He went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward, listen to this, he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and whose builder is God. Now go down to verse 13. These all died in faith not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and that they were exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had every opportunity to return. 
But, as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Now, Abraham was a foreigner. He was a man that was asked to leave his homeland and asked to go to a land that he didn't know. We just read it. He didn't know where he was going. He was just told to simply go, to go on this journey. And God gave him some promises. Look back at verse 9. It says, By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. Why do you live in tents? What is the great thing about a tent? Why do we love tents? Because we can put them up quickly. We can take them down quickly. Tents are great if you're always on the move. That's the idea here is that we have a temporary residence. That's what Abraham was that He knew that where he was was temporary, that God was leading him to something permanent. He lived as a foreigner. And actually, I looked this, this word up that's used to refer to Abraham as a foreigner or as an alien, and it is literally translated that Abraham lived as an alien resident. In other words... And this is for us to realize this morning. In other words, a person of faith lives their life understanding that this is not their home. Abraham understood that the journey he was on was leading to somewhere else. Verses 1 through 4 of Psalm 121 indicate to us this morning that this journey that we're on, that this life that we're living, this life that we want to know what is the purpose of this life that we live day in and day out, it's reminding us that we need a God. Verses really 1 through 5, but verses 1 through 4 in particular, they said, so we've headed out in this life, and the psalmist is asking, he said on his journey, where will my help come? He says, because I know I'm going to need it. I know I need help. From where does my help come? And he immediately answers and says that his help comes from the Lord. But we need to focus in on verses 3 and 4 here. Look at verse 3. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. We'll include verse 5. He says, the Lord is your keeper. The Lord is the shade. Your shade is your right hand. See, the reason that the Lord is your keeper, the reason is because you need one. We need someone to watch us, to watch over us, to keep us as we go in and as we come out. Because the psalm is implying for us here that there's much in this life, that there's much, there's so many things in this life that would cause us to slip. There are so many things in this life that can lead us to be tempted. And it's not giving us the idea that we will never slip, that we will never fall, that we will never fall to temptation. But rather it's telling us when you do fall, the Lord is there as your keeper. He is there at your right hand. Now, I think sometimes that Christianity is accused of, and really rightly so, but I think sometimes Christianity is accused of being a little uh, unrealistic. I think sometimes we want to think of Christianity as this set of beliefs that 
once we, once we have faith, once, once we have it and we have these set of beliefs, then everything's just going to be fine and dandy. That once we have our faith, everything's going to be fine. Our, our foot's not going to slip anymore. That is unrealistic. Now, God is protecting us, but it's not that he's telling us that nothing bad is going to happen in our lives. But rather, he wants us to know that when we do slip, that when we do fall to temptation, that when we do have a loved one who's battling health problems, he wants us to know that it is in those times that he protects us and he brings us through it in spite of it. Despite of that, he brings us through that. Now, I already mentioned that Psalm 121 and the rest of these Psalms of Ascent were sung by those who were traveling to Jerusalem. Now, when they got to verse 3, they understood what this meant. I don't, I don't think you and I sitting in this room can understand verse 3 fully because, see, Israel's terrain was not like walking through our neighborhoods that we have with our nicely paved sidewalks. They didn't have streets going through their valleys or nice paved roads along their rivers, or over their mountains. Mary Margaret and I had uh, really just a, a wonderful opportunity. We were able to go to Israel uh, a few years ago. We went and spent, I think it was like 10 or 11 days that we were going to be in Israel. We were going to be going to, you know, kind of doing that Holy Land tour that a lot of people go, and you see a lot of different sites. Uh, we're going to see Joppa, or Jaffa, sometimes it's referred to. We're going to spend a few days in Jerusalem, a lot of different places. And as we were going, as they were gathering the group and telling us what all we needed to bring and to pack for the trip, they said to make sure you have a really good pair of, like, hiking boots, of really good shoes to walk around on. Now, I've never really been known for my tennis shoes, and Mary Margaret didn't think my penny loafers were really going to do the trick over there in Israel. So I was encouraged to go buy some new shoes. And I did that. And I found these shoes. They're these massive, soled shoes, these hiking shoes. I mean, the tread is just that thick. The soles are so cushiony, I felt like I could just spring on them. And the, it came up the side. I mean, the soles came all the way up the side. So really, if I was on the side of something, I could grip it. I could hold on to it so that my foot wouldn't slip. And I remember uh, one place in particular that we, we went through, if you're familiar with uh, Engadi. We read about David when he was hiding, when he was being pursued by King Saul. He fled into the area of Engedi, and it's beautiful. It's, you almost feel it's like an amphitheater-type situation. There's all these caves and stuff hidden in all the banks and all the way up the mountain. And it was that dusty, desert-like wilderness that Israel is known for. And we'd be walking through that area, and all of a sudden you would, you would hear running water. And you're like, how is this happening? And you would kind of, stuff had grown up behind you, kind of push through, you know, the reeds and stuff that were grown up. And you would, the, one, one time in particular, we got to the top as we were traveling through, and there was just this waterfall that was coming down. It was beautiful. So you, you go around on this dust, and you're jumping over the rocks and getting around and having to really navigate and know where you're going. There were times where the water's coming over on these rocks, and it's really coming up on my feet. If I had not had those shoes, if I had been in my penny loafers, I would have slipped like that. There's no way I could have made it. See, the bus had dropped us off and was waiting for us at the other side. If I had not had my feet grounded with those nice traction new shoes that I had, I would have been left behind. I wouldn't have been able to keep with, up with the group. Well, Psalm 121 is reminding us that we should not expect our journey 
to be just easy walking. It's actually telling us that the terrain in which we live out that is this life, we're going to have to jump over things. We're going to have to go through hard times. We're going to experience things where we know that we need somebody helping us along, guiding us through those times when we're just not sure what's going to happen. And Psalm 121 is telling us that God is the keeper of us, that God is motivating us and encouraging us because He is with us every step of the way. Now, as we looked at the life of Abraham, I want us, it's very important um, to really see what Abraham saw the foreign land that he was living in. I think when we think about a foreign land, I think we, we have in our minds that it's a, an area that we don't recognize. To be somewhere foreign means that I, just, I don't know where I am. But the Bible is actually telling us that when Abraham lived in a foreign land, that you and I right now are living in a foreign land, it's that we are actually in a hostile situation. That, I really believe, is a better translation for us this morning. Not a foreign land, but we actually are living in a hostile situation because this life is actually in opposition to the person in faith. That the person living out their faith in Christ is actually this life is in opposition to that person. So God knows it is in those times that we need to have something to look forward to that we need to have somewhere that we know that we are going, that we need to have somewhere we know where we are heading so we can look beyond the situation that we're in to give us hope, to give us assurance, to comfort us. But the unique situation that you and I have this morning is that we actually get to experience that which is to come. We actually get to experience and enjoy that even now. And that is a very unique situation for the believer in Christ to find comfort that not only do we look forward to that which is to come, but we can actually experience and have that now. I read something this week that said, I had to include it here, says, though we travel the world over to find the beautiful, we must carry it with us or we find it not. See, God is offering to every single one of us in this room Himself. God is offering you Himself. But He's not offering you Himself. Sometime later down the road in the future, He is offering everything that He has. He is offering to to you right now. A lot of times we, we hear people who have been in a terrible situation or have gone through a time of trials and a a lot of times you will hear those people say that there was something or in particular there's usually somebody that helped them get through it. I was talking about this not too long ago uh, with a man over in Mississippi from the church where we came from and he had just gotten back from Afghanistan. Uh, He had been gone for for about a year. It had been just over 12 months, actually. Uh, he had been, it's like Kyrgyzstan, but I figured I wouldn't be able to say that right, so I was going with Afghanistan. But he had been, he'd been over there for just over a year. And he said, there was not a day that went by. He said, there wasn't a single day that went by that I didn't think about my wife. So there wasn't a day that went by that I didn't think about my five kids. 
said, I thought of all six of them all the time. And he said, this is why. He said, I had to hope. Listen to what he said. I had to hope in something that was greater than what I had there. He said, I had to be looking forward to something greater than what I had in that situation. He was looking forward to that, of being reunited with his family. I love the movie um, Cast Away. And this may be a poor illustration if you know the ending of the movie, but this part fits in. But in the movie Cast Away with Tom Hanks, I remember seeing that movie on the big screen, and it's dark. And a lot of that movie, if you remember, when he got cast away on the island, it was spent of him at night. And as I was watching the movie, it was a long movie, and you're sitting there thinking, why? It's just dark in the theater. You could barely see any movement on the screen. And they would go through several nights like this. And every now and then, though, all you would hear was, and you'd hear it again. He was turning his flashlight on and turning it off. And when you would hear that noise, that little, and that flashlight would come on, the screen would just light up, and all you could see was a picture of the person that he loved. He had this little locket. He had this little pocket watch that had stayed in his pockets when he had gone through the water and he had it with him. He was, he was going through that time not knowing how long he was going to be there, not knowing if he would ever see another place, but he had to hope in something. He was hoping to get back to her. He was hoping that he would reach her again. That was his hope. That encouraged him to keep on going because he didn't see any purpose of his day-to-day operation on that island. It, he didn't know why he was living. He didn't know what his purpose was. So he's holding on to getting back to her. We have to ask ourselves what our motivation is this morning. What are we holding on to? What are we shining our light on at night? If you were to shine your flashlight, what's it looking at? Is it looking at God? Is that what you're hoping in? Is it looking at things that are maybe in your heart that are contrary to God? When your flashlight comes on, those things that center in on what you are caring about, those things that you love, is it things of this world that we would see? Abraham, as I mentioned, lived a life of faith. He lived an entire life of faith. Although Abraham lived 175 years, although he lived that long, he never saw the promises that God had given him fully fulfilled. He was always looking forward, always looking to something else, just as you and I are called to do this morning. We're to look to the cross. We're to look to Christ. We're to see that He died for our sin. We're to see that He has already taken the punishment that you and I deserve. See, we have to understand that this life is not what we're, we like to use that term, destined. This is not what we are destined for, that we were actually made for something greater. There's a book by Jerry Bridges that's called Respectable Sins. It's really kind of catchy title. And there's several chapters throughout the book, and they're really small, and they hit on different topics. Like one week, like one of the chapters would be on anger. And it would talk about how we are so quick to see anger in somebody else. Oh, I can recognize when you get angry. But I don't see it when I get angry. That's righteous anger, right? I have an excuse for that. Well, there was a chapter in there that was called selfishness. I want to read this to you. He made this statement talking about selfishness. 
He said, a good test of the degree of selfishness in our interest would be to reflect on the conversation after you've been with somebody, after you've been with another couple. So if you've had that conversation, if you've been talking with somebody, he said, ask yourself how much time you spent talking about your own interests compared to listening to the other person. That kind of stings a little bit if you think about it. Because I think typically when, when we're talking to each other, aren't you sometimes waiting and thinking and, okay, there's going to be that good little part, that, that pause, that silence where I can say what it is I've been thinking about for three or four minutes because I want you to hear what I have to say. So let's bridge the gap here. Let's ask the question whether or not we're spending more time on, more time on the things of this world or are we actually spending more time on the things of God's kingdom. Ask yourself that question. That one stings too. I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians. I'm going to read one verse, but I want you to turn. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to read verse 1. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed... We have a building from God. We have a house, not made with hands, that is eternal in the heavens. Now the word here for earthly home literally means a temporary residence. And the word for building, here talking about the building of God, it's talking about a concrete structure. Now gang, that's food for thought for us this morning. God is telling us that we have a tent that we're living in right now that is temporary. But he's saying, but I have something that is planned for you. I have a concrete, permanent structure made for you. Now, do we see ourselves, do we see our purpose right now, these lives that we're leading, do we see them as temporary and seeing ourselves down the road as living forever? Here's the point. This life is temporary. Yet the one promised by God is everlasting. It has no expiration date. Are we just merely paying lip service to the kingdom while our true focus is here on earth? It's what our flashlight's looking at. What's important to us? What do I lie in bed thinking about when I go to sleep? What's constantly on my mind? Is it the things of God or is it the things of this world? Are we trying to enjoy too much out of our journey? Or are we actually looking to our destination? Because Psalm 121 is telling us that our true focus ought to be on the heavens above. I read a paraphrase of Romans 12, verse 2. Don't worry about turning that. I just want to read you this. It's a paraphrase, and it sums up Romans 12, verse 2. And it says this. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. Think about that. Don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. And it's talking about conformity to this life being so dangerous. See, because we love this world so much and what we think that it can offer us, but we are far too little in love with the world that is to come. I want to say that again. I really, If you haven't heard anything else I've said this morning, hear this right now. Okay, I want you to hear this. We love this world so much 
and what we think that it can offer us, and we are far too little in love with the world that is to come. Remember that. Until we understand that Jesus Christ had everything. He was home. He was living. He had the perfect relationship with His Father. He had everything, and He gave it all up. He left His home to come here for us. And until we realize that, we will never live our lives the way we should. Do you want me to tell you a little secret? You will never live your life the way you should. Now, you may hear this today, and you may get all excited about living more for God and less for yourself, but usually that tends to fade out for us in our lives, doesn't it? You may decide, and maybe you've done this before, hey, Harrison, I've made a decision. I'm going to start taking more risks financially in supporting the kingdom of God. I'm going to start taking those risks with my finances because I want to give it back to the Lord. But that, too, usually fades away when financial uncertainty kind of creeps back in, doesn't it? See, we're not brave enough to risk our influence. We're not brave enough to risk our money and our influence to help those in need around us. But there is one who did do all this. So we love the life that we're building. But the Christian, see, we think that Christianity sometimes is just saying yes to a set of beliefs. But being a follower of Christ is not just saying yes to a set of beliefs. It's actually basing your life on those beliefs. It's trusting that Christ redeemed us and saved us. Not by gaining something. He saved us by losing everything. That's our motivation. Out of our gratitude that Christ gave up Everything to save us. As I mentioned, he had perfect fellowship with his Father. But he gave it up so that sinners just like you and so that sinners just like me can have a place waiting for us even now. See, it's already ours. We've already obtained it. I think we kind of, I think we skip that point sometimes. See, our union with Christ is such that all that is His is already ours. That's what we're looking forward to. That is what is to come. But Scripture tells us over and over that we can enjoy that now. All that is His is already ours. That is why verse 8 in Psalm 121 is read so often. If you've been here at Cross Creek the past couple of weeks... Chris, knowing that I was going to preach on this, he said something the other day. He said, I've ended the service a couple weeks in a row with verse 8 of Psalm 121. This is why we read verse 8 so often. It says, The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God will continue to guide us in all our travels through this life starting now. See, Psalm 121 has been building up to this. The psalmist has actually been creating, uh, he's been building up the conviction that we are all in need of help, that we are all in need of watching over, and that the Lord is present to deliver us. And then, 
It's after we realize that the Lord is here to deliver us, and then we can leave knowing that He is faithful to deliver us forevermore. So He went from the present to the future to assure us of God's blessing now and God's blessing throughout all eternity. Our goal should be to glorify God in all of life. What is the chief end of man? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Starting now. See, it's not that our earthly happiness and our earthly joy is unimportant. God knows His children. He knows us. He knows what, what, what's needed to preserve us in this life. But our goal must not be to attain these things. That's the key. Our goal cannot be to attain the things in this life, but rather to seek the kingdom of God. Now, our lives, this journey must be directed to God's glory. But our greatest joy doesn't come from what this world has to offer. It comes from a relationship with the Lord. I want to end with this. If you don't know what your destination is, if you don't know what it is, how can you direct your thoughts and your actions to it now? Think about that. If you don't know where you're headed, if you don't know what your destination is, if you don't know what God has promised you in and through His Son, how can you base your life on it now? Remember, we are not to enjoy ourselves, but we are to enjoy Him forever. Jesus had everything, and He was home, but He gave it up to bring you to it. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we encounter You, as we encounter Your Word, Father, and we hear You speaking to us, Lord, I pray that we would not hear just a set of beliefs or a set of rules or, or 12 steps to help us to live better lives. Lord, there is no just simple one, two, three process that we can do and we can have a right standing with you. But Lord, you have given us the greatest motivation in this life to live for your kingdom now, even in this life. And that is knowing that your son, Jesus, gave it all up. Gave up his perfect communion with you, with his Father, to come and walk this earth to bring us to you. Lord, I pray, Lord, that we would trust in you more and more, not trust in the things of this world and what it has to offer us. We are so selfish. We do pray these things all in Jesus' name. Amen.